Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on recent sermon themes and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org. Be sure to say which sermon your question is about, if applicable. And don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about any question askers on this podcast. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the two sermons Easter Sunday and Stories of Making It Through, both of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hi, Laurel. Hello. How are you? Happy spring. Good. It's spring. We're back at it. We are. It's springtime. I was afraid you, I was almost afraid you weren't going to say we're back at it, and then I would have been very uncomfortable because you always Do say I it. always say that? <laughs> oh my gosh, so that's sorry. really funny. I'm like an old man with a shtick. I'm, I'm sorry I called your attention to it because I don't want you to be self-conscious so about it, but it's like an audio security blanket to me, and it makes me feel very comfortable and happy. Oh my God, I love that. No, I'll always say it. Oh, good. I mean, I would have always said it anyways, apparently. I'm, I'm glad I'm reliable. <laughs> it's nice to have something to just like have you like know a steady thing in these up and we down all need wild some security worlds. we do I know <laughs> so and here we are here we are um and we're talking about some Abrahamic traditions today yeah um so yeah we're talking about Easter and stories of making it through which is about Passover um, and those were in a different order, but that's not a big deal. Well, so I can tell you, so I actually made a really silly mistake and I put, this is like the most UU thing possible. I put Easter on the wrong Sunday and nobody noticed. There are like many people who can look at the worship calendar. No one noticed, which makes me like so amused. So like, like three weeks before Easter, I was like, oh no. Uh-huh. Easter's a week earlier than we put it on the church calendar. Oh my gosh. Um, which is why Passover is on the wrong day because I also had Easter on the wrong day. It was just all very exciting and very UU that I got Easter wrong. But then we fixed it. <laughs> There's never a wrong day to talk about hope and resilience. So, yeah. So, frankly, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was just a really funny moment in a committee meeting when I was like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've made a grave mistake. (laughs) So this is why we do things in teams. So someone will notice if you put Easter on the wrong Sunday. (laughs) Well, okay. Also, though, speaking of the most you thing ever, um, I said this to you after I listened to the Easter sermon it's like the most you sermon i've ever heard um (laughs) (laughs) and like that's the tell tell our dear listeners why Um, because it had like it has a theological point of view right Mm -hmm. it's talking about nobody's damned you know it's going through Mm -hmm. like details of what we do believe 
But then yep. at the end, it's acknowledging the existence of trauma, which is yep. new. <laughs> um, yeah, and religious trauma specifically. And religious trauma yeah. specifically. And it's saying you are, like, the agency remains with you, how you engage with yep. the story and how you yep. engage with this particular text and source of wisdom. And, yep. like, this is an important part of our religion is this hope. But if the place that it, like, fires that up in you is not, you know, this story in particular, the Bible, then right. by all means, like, do your thing. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Go like... Go eat your chocolate bunny. Yeah, it's great. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that just, like, struck me a lot. Well, I'm glad. Yes. I was... I put, My hope in writing that was there. There, there's often the phenomenon of um, UU congregations that don't know what to do with the Easter story. And so they just don't, yeah. which is really funny. And so a lot of a lot of old congregations, instead of really talking about Easter, it's like music Sunday, or there's some kind of like euphemism. Mm-hmm. And then everybody tiptoes around the fact that it's actually Easter. Um, and I think this, this is like starting to change because I think more... Um, more sort of ministers of my generation. And I don't actually, I don't know if it's really a generational thing, but there's sort of this shift to like, no, we can talk about it. It's okay for you used to talk about, you know, the crucifix and Easter and resurrection. And there are ways that you can talk about it that are not like at odds with universalism. Yeah. Right. There are ways you can talk about it that are at odds with universalism, Um, which I tried to acknowledge, right? Like there are ways of interpreting this that don't work for us, but those are not the only ways of interpreting this story. Yeah. Well, I think part of why it's, I mean, that's obviously one reason why we don't engage with it that much is because a lot of really mainstream interpretations are at odds. Yeah, are super problematic. Yeah. But also the story is kind of violent and it's super violent. Disturbing. And yeah, it's not even kind of violent. It's yeah, extremely violent. It's quite violent and disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And so on a very sanitized, kid-friendly holiday, um, right. I don't necessarily want to think a lot about crucifixion or at, at all. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 That's real. But I think it also, I, I'm glad that you talk about the full story, though, because yeah. That, you know, that like journey of really, really acknowledging the fullness of the pain and hope. Right. And that is you, you too. Um, right. Well, and that's where like this overly like toxic positivity, like everything's great. We don't talk about bad things. Like that kind of religion and that kind of spirituality is not going to get you through like the struggles of actually living life. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a lot easier to operate in this like lovey-dovey place, but it doesn't really hold up, right? Like, like in Unitarian Universalism, there can be this, um, sort of like resistance to talking about sin and evil, um, because they're, they're like feel too tied up in, um, ideas about God that we are not like that, that aren't our jam that don't work for us as you use. Um, but if we don't address it somehow, suddenly we become this like very, like everything's great, 
like wishy-washy type of religion. Um, and so I think it's really important to figure out how to talk about um, like the depth of human suffering and struggle. Um, yeah, I think specifically the language of sin also yeah. is sort of tied up with concepts of damnation that also don't oh, yeah, with for us sure. and redemption um, yep. that don't like redemptive suffering type stuff, which also not our jam. Yes, does not work. Um, yeah. And and for people to remind you again, so redemptive suffering is this idea that um, you're, you're suffering um, or like the violence and, and struggle that you experience in life purifies you. So it's like, like violence and suffering do good things to you, which is obviously really icky and um, has been used to justify all kinds of violence, um, which is obviously not okay. So, yeah, I always like to say, um, instead of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes. Um, I, I always think it is what doesn't kill you gives you trauma. Yeah. Um, More accurate. Just to, you know. Just speak myself smile and also because it's more consistent with it's more true reality yeah it's more in true opinion um right. and so it can i return to the sin question for yes, a second please um because there are a lot of theologies where um like original sin sin is ingrained in you um you can't be purified of sin unless you are baptized or like get saved in some kind of way. Like there are all different ways of talking about sin that are obviously not in line with Unitarian Universalism. Um, and the way that I talk about sin is that there's sort of um, this pull in life to live in line with goodness and flourishing and love and kindness. Um, and sin is what happens when we diverge from that. It's sort of when you veer off course. Um, but because we're universalists, we're saying that that pullback towards life is always possible. And that is always the thing that is ultimately strongest. Mm. Um, so like you can veer off course. That's totally valid. And coming back into alignment with what's good and moral and flourishing and loving is always available. Um, and I think that way of thinking about it, um, well, I hope that it, it's sort of more digestible for you use, um, and helps with this thinking about like, sin is sort of this, like when we're not living in line with how we want to be living. Um, and it's not this thing of ultimacy, right? It's not like you're damned from the start. It's that we're human, right? And we stumble and we mess up. And we're never damned because of it. Yeah. I mean, I... So. Yeah. In UU fashion, I think <laughs> <laughs> the yes. concept I like and the word I don't. Yeah. Um, yes, totally. Totally. Just because of because the Because it's so... Exactly. It is so tied up with certain kinds of understanding um, that... Right. Like, again, not all words will work for you, right? Yeah. Like, we're all trying to sort of gather, like, coalesce words around ideas to make sense of the world. But if one of those words doesn't work for you, like, great, don't use it. Yeah. <laughs> Find one that does. And that was the other so, part. I mean, that was another part of the sermon that was really um, you, you to me is the acknowledgement of yeah. 
trauma and specifically religious trauma. Um, yeah. You know, that was definitely something that you use, think and talk about that. I, I mean, yeah. I've never been part of another uh, denomination, so I don't know how common right. it is. Um, well, part of the reality is that like a very, I don't know what the statistics are, but a very large number of people become you use as an adult because the religions of their childhoods did not work for them. Mm -hmm. And that could be everything from like, just didn't really make sense to them to actual like really significant spiritual trauma, especially if you're thinking about situations of like queer kids or trans kids who grow up being told, right, that they're evil or they're damned. Obviously that's going to cause some really significant problems for you and some really significant suffering. Um, so people come, many people come by their like great resistance to religious terms. They come by that honestly, right? Mm -hmm. Which is where like, I'm not attached to if you use the word sin. Like I can help you understand it if you want a different way of defining it that loosens that word up a little bit. But it doesn't mean you need to use it. Yeah. So whatever, right? Like we're all finding our way together. Speaking of which, also, oh my gosh, you're giving me such yeah. good transitions today. Um, oh, we're on a roll. <laughs> um, I want we're to back at it. We <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're still at it. <laughs> yeah, how many times can I say that now? <laughs> um, the limit does not exist. Uh, yeah. okay, so <laughs> um, I want to talk about resilience as a community-based experience instead of a measure yeah. of individual strength I love or that growth idea. Um, yep. because I think a lot of the way we talk about strength resiliency um growth like a lot it's of very individualistic extremely that's exactly what I was gonna say aka white supremacy culture yes <laughs> um, and I think like and it's not just about like the the, the concept of resilience as, like, it's okay to ask for help, it's okay to lean on people yeah. still retains... That's still operating from a place of, like, it's okay. you Like, you can take right. a break from your good self-independence. Yeah, and then, like, once you're that okay again, you can be independent again as, like... Yeah, no. Um, like as, Fun fact, yeah. we're social creatures, right? As we've learned in the pandemic, no one likes being alone. Yeah. <laughs> All the time, right? Yeah. So that came up in your Passover sermon. Um, yeah. And I was hoping you could give another little, like, rundown of how that's part of the Passover story. The The idea of resilience being collective? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, well, so I think the, the practice of... Um, the Passover Seder is one of, like, you can't have a Seder alone. Mm -hmm. That's not a thing. I mean, I don't know if there's a rule about that, but I can't imagine what that would be like. You'd be, like, drinking wine and eating salty celery alone, which <laughs> sounds sad. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it's, it's inherently this communal practice that's about gathering together and telling stories and remembering... Um, the sort of things that we have in common and the and if that's like a religious story if it's you know you always use your grandmother's like matzo ball soup recipe right there are so many layers to the way um that that kind of intergenerational familial um and 
religious um, kind of tradition. Like it's just so rich and so layered. Um, and I think that's part of what fosters this sense of resilience is that you're not alone. Um, and this practice is done together, right? To pull off a Seder, like you need multiple people to help with it because it is actually really elaborate and there's all this special food and all this symbolic food. Um, there's a lot of wine because you drink, you're supposed to drink a glass with like every sort of stage of telling the story. There's a whole thing. Um, and I think that's that's so important in life to have these moments of collective storytelling um, for our own sense of connection, for our own sense that um, like we're not on the journey alone and we're not the first people on a journey. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I'm very pro pro community. Shocking. Yeah. You ministers pro community. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's also um, you're I, I've been to, I believe, two satyrs in my life. One of them nice. was at the UCSW church in the basement. Oh, funny. Um, yeah. As part of RE. Um, nice. And then the other one was like two years ago. Um, uh-huh. My friend hosted a satyr and it was a potluck satyr. Um, nice. And we had a lot of, I have to imagine, non-traditional food there because a lot of yeah, non-Jewish why people not? came. Um, Whatever. And we watched a version of the Passover story that had Sarah Jessica Parker in it um, from like, I want to say the either like the 90s or the really early 2000s. Um, oh, and, I need to find and that. And I think... Like, it was, like, a cool world, like, partly animated, partly, like, live action. It was, like, a basically cool. a fever dream, but it was, like, a very fun <laughs> memory that I have of coming together with my friends. <laughs> yeah. And you probably left feeling, like, hopeful and connected and, like, we can do hard things, right? And remembering that Sarah Jessica Parker was a thing. <laughs> yeah. That's, but she's yes, still yes, a thing. Sarah is a thing. Excuse me. Is a thing. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, another thing that's going on in the church that I want to talk about is coming of yep. age. Yeah. Um, so. Which is exciting. Yeah. Um, how's that coming? You're prepping some coming of agers, right? Well, they're, they're like, we're on the journey with them. Yes. Right? So, so for those who don't know or would like a refresher, um, coming of age is sort of like UU bar mitzvah. Um, and it is more similar to the Jewish tradition than, say, like a Catholic confirmation, um, because it's the moment when we recognize young people as transitioning from children um, to being like active adult members of the congregation, which is how it works in Judaism, which is why um, there's this whole ritual of like singing your Torah portion, because it's at that moment that you um, become recognized as being um, like ready to carry on the traditions of your community um, and your religious practice. And so for you use coming of age is this moment when we recognize like you're not a kid anymore um, and you're transitioning out of the sort of typical Sunday, Sunday school classes. Um, and this is the moment to really reflect on like what are your core values and what's core to the way that you see the world and what you believe? Because again, like we don't 
we don't tell you that as you use. We have a common set of principles and a common sort of this like universalist, nobody's damned and everybody has different paths thing. But that means that you actually kind of need to fill in the middle there, right? Like, so what is most important to you? What words do you under use for sort of understanding and making sense of the world? Um, so we've been doing that. It's um, me and one of the um, people on the board whose kids are, I think, in college now. We're co-leading, coming of age. Um, and it's been really great. And one of the things that um, that I made for them is we've been talking about this sort of um, like trying to figure out what you believe is actually really difficult. Um, and so if you think in terms of spiritual development, um, and this probably lines up with like general human psychological development, but the, the earlier sort of easier stages are about defining yourself in rejection of other things. So like in contrast. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets harder then to think about like, okay, so we have a sense of the things that we don't believe and what doesn't define us, but then actually articulating what we do believe and what is most important to us, um, that's, that's the part that can be kind of complicated and amorphous and like so simple that it can be hard to name in a way. Yeah. Um, and so we started, I made this diagram for them um, that sort of, it looks like a target um, because where we started was um, the line that's called moral injury. Um, and so this is the, the notion that everybody actually does have moral boundaries that they will not cross. Um, and so there are things like murder, right? Like, attacking another person, rape, things that are incredibly violent that you would not do to another person. Mm -hmm. um, and so moral injury is a kind of trauma that is inflicted on ourselves when we cross our moral boundary. Um, and so this is, if you think in the, the example that we used in Coming of Age was Horcruxes in the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. Um, not because we're endorsing J.K. Rowling and all of her transphobic nonsense, Ugh. but because it's like, like sort of wild that there's actually a, a commonly known literary example of moral injury because most people don't know the term moral injury or know what it is. Um, and so the idea is that in killing another person, you split your own soul. Um, which is how then, right, like you can create this horcrux that holds your soul separately. That's obviously not literally real. Um, <laughs> but this idea that by doing extraordinary violence to someone else, you actually do extraordinary violence to yourself mm -hmm. um, is something that gets overlooked and is actually really important um, and points to the fact that like everyone, in fact, does have some kind of moral compass. And so the question is how we attune to it and understand it um, because we know it exists. Um, and so we talked in that lesson, we also talked about the idea of moral exclusion, which is sort of the loophole. And so moral exclusion is something that you see in war propaganda, especially. It's like really obvious in war propaganda um, because moral exclusion is the process by which you dehumanize a group of people to the point that your moral boundaries no longer apply to them. So it becomes possible to kill them, right, without without experiencing that as moral injury because you don't think they're a person. Um, so that's sort of where we started to get this sense of 
um, like, where are your boundaries in life? Yeah. And the fact that we do have common boundaries. Um, and we talked about there's sort of like lower level things, right? Like embarrassment is an indication that you've like done something that you're not okay with, but not to the level of causing yourself significant like moral spiritual trauma. Um, shame is also kind of like a something's wrong with me um, feeling. And so those are all operate, all of those feelings and things operate in this like living out of alignment with how you, with your own values and your own sense of how the world operates. So we started there. Um, and then this past weekend, we talked about the core. So the, the sort of like good center that we try to live from. Um, and and I made that as like a target in the center and an outer ring around it. Um, and said that, that the thing at the center is a thing that people have all different kinds of names for. And maybe you call that your soul. Maybe you call it divinity. Maybe you call it your like loving kindness or intrinsic goodness, right? This is where like there are all different kinds of words and whatever works for you is great. It's a question of like discovering that. Um, and then sort of the like core beliefs and values around that from which we, we try to live. Um, and when we live from that place of our understanding of like the core essence of our lives and the things that are most important to us, living from that place creates a sense of calm um, and like attunement with our own, um, well, whatever word you use, right? If it's attunement with your own goodness, if it's attunement with your own inherent sacredness, um, so that's sort of where we went because we've been in this um, journey of trying to name not only what are our limits of what is absolutely not acceptable, but then in the positive sense, what do we hold up as being most important? Because as you use, like I as the minister can't tell you yeah. what is most important to you, but I can help you figure it out, right? Like I can help you on the journey. Um, so that's what we've been doing in Coming of Age um, and we'll have a service the first Sunday in June to recognize them and to honor them. Um, so it's really, it's fun and interesting. And um, next week we're talking about um, the sort of nature of community because between your, like, the way that I have made this diagram, between that core of your sense of the world and your your greatest values and then that, that sort of outer ring of, like, things you don't want to do, between that, there's kind of um, like our group covenants, our sense of um, like groups that we want to live in line with and the kind of behavior that we think is good and positive. Um, so we're trying to help them sort of think through the different layers of um, like our own personal, moral, spiritual compass and how we navigate the world and how we know if we're like living in line with ourselves and 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 we also know when we're like veering off course yeah so. yeah I think that's so important to think through very clearly but also yes for me personally the way I experience that is so embodied um yes yeah like sometimes it's so you're I mean like your brain has defense mechanisms, rationalization, like, yeah. um, you know, 
creating distance, all kinds yep. of like denial, <laughs> projection, projection. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And so if you try to rash, like reason your way through a lot of those questions, yeah, sometimes no. you go in circles. Um, yes. So for me, like, if I find myself in a loop around like those kinds of questions, I really try yeah. to like go more into my body to see like my body has this internal yes. wisdom and sense and yes. um, instinct of where that is. Um, right. And so it's. And the fact that yeah. you can do that, right? Like, is that practice of like, okay, how do I notice if I'm if I'm sort of in line or not in line um, and your body is right, is like the house of your feelings, which are your, your road signs to like, whoa, 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 you're driving too fast. Like that's yeah. not working. Um, so that's a really smart move. I love that we have so many sources of wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not like you don't need to go read a book to know. You might need to sit quietly and like twiddle your thumbs. Or be in nature or Yeah. Go lay in the grass. Or read or whatever science if you want. Like Yeah, like <laughs> whatever and exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so and so one of the things that we talked about is how spiritual practices are whatever help us like reattune to ourselves and get us back in touch with like our core sense of the world and our core values and our sort of feeling of courage and centeredness. And for all different people, like whatever helps you do that is going to be different. And we know there are common denominators, right? Like paying attention to your body is often helpful, but maybe for somebody that's like not the thing that works for them. Um, so we know that going in, like spending time in nature is often helpful, but also maybe it's not for you. So like find something that is. Yeah. So we're on that journey of, of thinking through those and, and sort of feeling through those things. That's such a valuable skill set to practice as you're transitioning yeah. into the beginning of adulthood. And so many people don't get that. Yeah. Which is sad. So yeah I you think you church PSA come to church yeah. it's great <laughs> I mean a lot of what you're saying too is is reminding me of like liberation movements more broadly um yeah. you know p there's a lot of criticism of like practices that protest what's happening that is bad like we don't want that mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. But I think, like you said, like, that's kind of a place to start, um, but it's not yes. the place to end. Um, right, right. And that... Because right. saying that yeah. you're against something, like, that gets you somewhere. Right. And but it really, that's not a whole thing. Right. But I, like, so for me, the way that I understand it is that criticism of the way things are, protest, um, makes space and community in which to do like productive dreaming of an alternative yes yes um and so yeah like, it's sort of the place yeah. to start right it's it's this like spark that can get something moving and it i mean it carves out this empty space that says like something else belongs here i don't know what yeah. it looks like yet but like there's this empty yes. lot where i need to build something new and yeah. like standing in that lot with your hands on your hips and looking around at it is productive. Yeah. Like it is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not just, you know, complaining. It's like 
really carving out a space where something is supposed to be and feeling that vacancy in your bones and like having your heart break a little bit about the fact that something you're talking about holy saturday are we returning we're coming full circle to easter again Ooh, really (laughs) yeah so this is the idea of holy saturday right this space between um like the fire of something ending and the intensity of resistance and then this sort of the space between that ending and what comes next mm-hmm. and this sort of resurrection of hope um, and life beginning again. Yeah, it's Holy Saturday. There's like a whole theological practice around this idea. I don't think I've ever seen the words Holy Saturday written together. Like I didn't know that was a, a <laughs> like thing (laughs) yeah I didn't know about it until grad school and I was like wait what are we talking about and then and then it was I it was this epiphany where I was like that is that's actually incredibly powerful right and suddenly like even though I grew up UU in a very like human humanist sort of allergic to Catholicism kind of congregation because it was Rhode Island Mm um I I came to this place of like that's actually this idea of um, Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday is actually incredibly powerful and instructive in this way that feels really life-giving and is not just the sort of weird, gory cross photos or two sweet chocolate bunnies. Yeah. Right? Like there's some substantive meaning here. Um, and there's a practice too um, on Good Friday during the service of stripping the altar which I saw happen when I was at Yale because I worked at the university church at Yale. And it was so beautiful and gut-wrenching at the same time um, because the congregation sits in the pews while the ministers like take all the flowers down and remove the candles and turn out all the lights and take all the like beautiful tablecloths down. And you're left with this like blank, empty, dark space. And it is so gut-wrenching and beautiful and cathartic um and that's sort of the thing that comes that's friday right that's like jesus dies it's over there's no hope here um and then holy saturday holy saturday is the space between and the sort of giving space for the emptiness and the wandering that has to precede easter right you can't go straight from like being emotionally gutted to like oh yay right (laughs) right like like spring takes some time to to bud and to come back to life um so yeah i think there's there's so much beauty and power in the easter story um which you miss if you're not willing to look at it right yeah um and maybe it doesn't work so maybe don't like that's totally still your call yeah right we're still you you (laughs) yes um so yeah i mean that's really i mean that resonates with me a lot um with a lot of the things that i've been thinking about um yeah new ways to build up safety and care on a wide scale um as we break down systems of control and surveillance um yeah and you know replace them with something more regenerative and liberatory yeah um yeah so i really love that story um and speaking of money (laughs) which we weren't (laughs) 
Yes. Um, the final thing I want also, to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Yes. Well, I and I also I'm realizing that there we've been talking in the last month of, at church about distinguishing between triggering and secondary trauma, um, and so those might be it might be helpful for people to sort of have have those frames of reference too because we're talking about right like Easter's a really violent story and maybe it doesn't work for you so we can we can add that to our list of our last two questions okay so what really quickly do you want to define yeah triggering and secondary trauma sure <laughs> now that I interrupted you <laughs> I'll just keep talking <laughs> um so so triggering is the idea that um an experience or a story conjures someone else's trauma that already lives in their body. Um, and so it's like a hook that pulls them into their own experience of trauma. Um, and so that's where like in the Easter sermon, I was saying, you know, like maybe this doesn't work for you. Maybe you don't want to do sort of churchy Easter things and that's okay. Right. Because maybe that is triggering to you. Maybe that does pull you into a place of a time um, when you felt deeply shamed and unloved. So like navigate as you will, right? Like if that's going to pull you back into your own experience of trauma, like you have my blessing to not do this, right? That is a good good and, and loving thing to do. Um, so triggers are external things that, that recall your own traumatic experience into your own body. Secondary trauma is very different. Um, and people kind of use the word triggering when really what they're talking about is secondary trauma. Um, and so that's where I think it's helpful to distinguish. So secondary trauma is what happens when someone who's had a traumatic experience um, inflicts that experience on others or other people are asked to witness it. So secondary trauma is something that happens often with first responders. Um, so if you think like somebody gets hit by a car, the person who is suffering is the one who's who's experiencing the first trauma, right? And they could get triggered later in life by like, I don't know, rapid braking in a car might conjure that feeling back to them. That's triggering. Secondary trauma is all the people who see them in their state of um, being so wounded because of this car accident. So secondary trauma is about the experience of trauma by those who witness another person's tra traumatic experience. Um, and so this is where, like last year when I, when I gave a sermon about this idea that like our bodies have inherent wisdom, um, and we know this because we know that trauma also lives in the body, right? Like feelings live in the body, trauma lives in the body. Um, and I specified that I was not going to tell any stories of traumatic experiences because telling the story is the thing that can cause secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. So like if you, if you're receiving somebody else's story of extraordinary violence, you can get too far into experiencing that in your own nervous system such that your body thinks that you are also having that traumatic experience. So that's what secondary trauma is. Um, and that's where like ministers and people who work with trauma are all trained in how to not take that on hmm. um, because that's a, hard, that's a hard place to wander into. And we have to be really careful, um, especially as caretaking 
professions that we that we maintain that boundary where we know that that what someone else is telling us is not our own experience and we are not going to feel it because to do so would actually be unhelpful. Mm. Um, so it's a thing that's sort of been swirling with um, lots of different things that we've been talking about. And so I think it's helpful to have like specific terms to distinguish between kinds of ideas. Yeah. Um, so because like, sharing a violent story with someone who themselves does not have a similar kind of trauma, that's not triggering, right? Because it's not pulling them into their own experience. It's secondary trauma because it's inflicting somebody else's experience on them. Um, and so this is where, like, especially with issues of police violence and shootings, there are these requests, especially in Black communities, that people not actually circulate those um those videos and those images without without content warnings, because to to see that is is actually secondary trauma. It might also be triggering of a person's own experience of a time when they experienced police violence. Um, but it's sort of we're trying not to let violence spread, right. um, if that makes sense, and not let trauma start inflicting trauma on other people. So how does secondary trauma interface with, um, like, empathy and solidarity? Yes. Um, so people often talk about compassion fatigue. Um, and compassion fatigue is, there, there are differences of opinion about if that's a, an, a useful term. Um, because, so the way that I was trained on this when I worked at the hospital, because um, we have to be hospital chaplains as part of becoming ministers, um, the training that I went through, they they reframed what is often called compassion fatigue, this sort of exhaustion and burnout of people who are caregivers, um, as actually empathic distress. Hmm. And so the, distinguish, the distinction between that is compassion is the experience of, I see you as a separate person and I see your humanity and, I, and I'm and i witnessing your struggle. But there's this inherent disconnect, right? Where like, I know I'm me and you're you and those are two different things. Empathy is feeling with. Um, and empathy is sort of that moment when you're like conjured into experiencing somebody else's humanity with them. And the problem is if you get stuck there. So if you're in that place of ex experiencing their feeling with them, you you sort of lose the distance at which you can be helpful. Um, and it it's sort of this overfusion where the witness becomes part of the the sort of suffering person's they they join together too much in the same suffering and so the the suffering spreads. Um, and so what's really helpful is is having this awareness, this clarity that your suffering belongs to you and I'm here to witness it. And the most loving and helpful and kind and productive thing to do is for me to witness it but not feel it, right? Like it doesn't help if I go to the place of, right, like your kid has cancer and so I start thinking about if my kid could have cancer, right? right. Because then people check out or they get like it causes all this confusion. Hmm. So we need to remain in the place of I'm I'm myself witnessing you um, so that I can be present to you. 
Yeah. If that's helpful. I don't know if that was all too no. hypothetical to make sense. I mean, it, it makes sense. It seems like it would be, it would take a lot of practice to be able to feel the difference. It does. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Because obviously if you're, I mean, this is really relevant to social justice work. If you're yep. looking around at pain that doesn't, you know, that comes yep. from injustice that doesn't need to be there, like that, like the, the feelings that you have about it, you know, it's not just an intellectual exercise to work for oh, justice. Oh, for sure. It's a very for sure emotional and embodied one. Um, yeah. And standing in solidarity with people whose experiences of, injustice are different from yours is emotional um it is and you know having the experience and um you know skill developed to distinguish between um healthy and unhealthy like emotional um yeah emotional responses and and experiences yeah i mean it's yeah it's nuanced I'm not confident. It is really nuanced. I would have that skill at this point. Well, and I think it's, I think it's something that you practice and you notice, right? Yeah. Um, Because I think that you would know, like, I'm sure you know the difference between like, I'm here witnessing somebody else's, like, say we're talking about racial violence, right? Like we're white women. And so we can show up and witness it and be moved by it, which is different than, I become so concerned with my own feeling about it, right? This is white women's tears, right? This is what we're talking about. That the thing of concern actually becomes my feelings about your feelings, right? Mm. Like then we've, then we've gone into a weird, murky, unhelpful, bad place. Yeah. Um, And, and it can sound a little cold almost, right? This like, I need to not feel your feelings with you. Um, It sounds like, because we're, there's, I don't know. It like, it just sounds a little bit harsh. Yeah. But at the same time, like if you have, like if you're in the emergency room and you like, you need the doctor to not be upset about the fact that you like, you have some traumatic injury. Cause you need them to have the clarity of mind to be able to take care of you. Yeah. Um, and so there has to be a kind of distance and separation. Um, and so even though we recognize our common humanity, um, we also need to be able to recognize our our separateness and the difference between people's experiences. Um, and so that like grounding into your own body and like remembering that you're you and the, the sort of whatever you're witnessing is separate from you, that can be a really important practice. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I agree. Um, to give a really quick explanation of the white women's tears reference yeah um for people who 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 may not have heard about that before um yeah there is sometimes a um a phenomenon that has been called uh white women's tears that talks about um women particularly uh you know white women who are being either called out or exposed to discussions about race that make them feel uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. And then reorienting themselves as people in need of consolation or as right. victims in the situation. Um, right. So the sort of the person who's being cared for shifts. Yes. Right. Where it's like you, 
it's sort of this co-opting of the position of the person who's been harmed in a way that's really unhealthy and um, not helpful. Yeah. And can... So it's not like white women crying, right? We're not that... Yeah, white it's women, not, women yeah. crying is not an inherently problematic thing, yes. right? This is like crying in a, or sort of being so emotional in a moment that's not about you in order to make it about you and your own struggle. Yeah. That's what we're talking, it's that shift. Right. So yes, I just wanted to clarify that that's like the name of a a problematic yes. phenomenon and not that women, yes. white women are not allowed right. to cry. It, yes, <laughs> this is good, right? Yes. It's not, it's, yes, it's not like no crying white women. This is like a specific, it's like the term Karen, right? Which is not anything against people actually named Karen. It's sort of this like euphemism for a fun- phenomenon. Yes. Well, um, <laughs> did you want to talk about money? I want to talk about the auction. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> That is, yes, that is what I meant about <laughs> This money. is like a funny hodgepodge <laughs> of an episode. It really is because we just talked you know, about, yeah, anyway. It all comes full circle. Just some late church business. Yeah. Um, the auction's going to be great. I'm super excited. I've been scheming about the auction since last August when I was on study leave. That's what happens when the minister's on study leave. We come up with plans. <laughs> we come up with church schemes. Yes. Yeah. We read things and study and think and come up with ideas. Um, and so <laughs> I feel I like feel very pleased with myself because I convinced people to go along <laughs> with my plan. Nice. Um, and it's going to be great. Um, so normally our auction is based around, um, dinners where people host different kinds of dinners or experiences and people buy tickets. Obviously in a pandemic that got turned upside down. Um, and so I, and many other people have been like crafting and art seeing our way through the pandemic. And so, and like most of my relatives are actually trained professional artists, um, So what we came up with was that we're doing this auction that's a combined art auction and because one of the other big things in the pandemic has been that local businesses are struggling. Um, And so it's this combined art and sort of local businesses auction, um, which I'm super excited about. It's on May 15th. And so there are a variety of things there are some things that are objects like my sister donated some um, ceramic trays that she has made Um, i make clothes and so i donated a custom garment so you get to decide like do you want a shirt what color do you want it to be what kind of style do you want it to be Um, and then i make it to your measurements Um, so that's a fun thing which i also don't do so that's a rare object Like the only person I make clothes for is my sister, basically. So if you're not my sister, this is your only chance. Exciting. Um, Yeah. So little plug for that. Um, And then the other things that we have are these really awesome experience packages. Um, So like there's one that's the Lovebirds package, um, which has a gift certificate to dinner from a local restaurant. I think it has um, a gift certificate for a bouquet of flowers from a local florist. It has some bottles of wine. Um, and then it also has, I think there's there's maybe like chocolate cake involved or something. I don't, I might, I might be lying right now or just like I might be misquoting the auction. But then part of the Lovebirds package is that our music director, who's incredible, 
will record your favorite song. So like if you want your wedding song recorded by the music director, that's part of the package. So there are these like really fun celebratory things. Like there's one that's like a picnic and adventuring package. And there's one that's like a dog lovers package. So they're really fun. Um, And there's a church cookbook, which was part of my scheme. Nice. Um, And so it's recipes from the pandemic and like stories of the recipes that people made through the year that sort of helped nurture them and nourish them. So it's going to be awesome, (laughs) basically. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, When does it go live? um, I think think it goes live the weekend before. So the auction party... um, because we always normally write an auction is like a live party event. Um, and so there will be a, a Zoom party. And if you buy a ticket, you get a goodie bag of local snacks, which is amazing. Um, and so the party will be the end of the week of bidding. And so some of the things will be live items. I think all the the sort of local packages with like local gift certificates, those will be live items because you probably only want that if you actually live in Westboro. Mm -hmm. Um, But the more like non-perishable art items, I think those will be um, sort of like eBay eBay style bidding the week of, and then they'll close during the Zoom party. So it's going to be fun. So which which week is that? May 15th. It ends on May 15th, Saturday evening. So check your like church newsletter um, and let us know if you're not a church member, but would like to bid on some art. That's exciting. I'm sure yeah. people would like to. Yeah, because like, gonna check we out. need fun things, right? Like, ce- again, with the celebration, celebration is important. So 100%. It's good. Yeah. My okay. chocolate chip holla recipe is in the cookbook. Ooh. I'm really, I'm really into this auction, guys. Oh, I should stop goodness. now. <laughs> this could just be an auction like advertisement. Um, so my anyways. friends used to bake holla um, and sell it uh, on behalf of like the Jewish center at school. That's um, awesome. When I was an undergrad. And so I would sometimes go with them the night before they would sell it to bake it. <gasps> and you, we would each get to take home like one for helping oh. and I always got the chocolate chip ones and it was all melty <gasps> oh my oh. gosh I love that well it's a really good recipe yes. Middlebury College still uses my chocolate chip holla recipe yes so I'm basically famous <laughs> <laughs> just kidding not at all I'm like the most introverted person <laughs> no desire to be famous you can be famous and introverted you, you just know. have to be like Sia and oh, never just show your hide face. from it yeah just get away anyway so auction May 15th. Cool. It's great. <laughs> All right. Well, that's so we've come full circle. We have. From from like the depths of suffering to chocolate. Be, okay. Which is great. I mean, that sounds like most of the human experience that matters. It is. So. Yeah. yeah. So good. We, I think we're done. I think we can put Until this next one in the time. can. <laughs> <laughs> Happy what, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day we're on. Happy all the days. Who knows? <laughs> Happy pandemic life to you. (laughs) Bye. bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.